Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You can ask me what my New Year's resolution is, if you like, but maybe we should go on air first. Well, I'm assuming that all of this is staying in because we're doing that thing where we talk in podcast speak. Oh, all right. Um, We need need to learn to have a conversation that isn't in podcast ease, don't we? I thought this was was me just talking. No, you went straight into podcast. It's the microphone. It's that SM7B. Um, mm. It turns you into into what? Gary (laughs) Davis. Well, hang on. Ooh, Gary Davis. <laughs> Maybe uh, that's what you need. You need a jingle what? or two. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Mr. H. Ooh. Perhaps that's the future. Now. Maybe we should stop the Corona Diaries and have a radio show of our own. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Be yeah. better than all the other shitty ones. Well, it would give us the advantage of not having to edit and and package and send it all out. Yeah, we could just play really cool music. Yeah. It, the the downside would be the occasional bit of editing we have to do because we've offended, well, pretty much everybody. <laughs> well, the downside would be being closed down on week two, I think you'd find. Uh, we'd need about a five to ten minute delay, wouldn't we? Yes, for ourselves. Mm. Not for the phone-ins. Well, there's the other problem, of course. If we'd been on at 10 o'clock this morning, the first hour would have been dead air. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it would have been a bit... It, yeah, I didn't wake up till 18 minutes past 10. <laughs> uh, and I opened one bleary eye thinking, is it half past seven? And it was 18 minutes past 10. So I had to panic. I had to... Action one was was text Aunt Short and suggest eleven o'clock. <laughs> Ten thirty was definitely not going to fly. So in our house this morning, what happened was I was sat in the chair downstairs and Alison shouted down at quarter past ten. Has he texted yet? And I said, No, not yet, but it's coming. <laughs> and she said, Well, when he texts you, will you put the kettle on? I said, I will. So we had a coffee about twenty to eleven. Has my unpredictability become entirely predictable? Predictable. Oh, yes. It has in this house. It is, <laughs> you, you could almost set a clock 40 minutes behind by it. <laughs> you could almost throw a clock at the wall. <laughs> and we have done. <laughs> so come on then, tell me your New Year's resolution. I'm intrigued. No more effing and blinding. You are having a laugh. I, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and stick to that. Because I came to this conclusion, well, I just think it's a bit, A, it's a bit oafish. B, I tend to roll it out whenever I lose my shit. I think I'm keeping shit in, but I'm I'm losing the effing. Um, Whenever I lose my shit, I tend to to roll it out, which, which combined with losing my shit 
I think it, it, it sounds almost violent, and I'm not a violent person. No. So I think that's got to go, and there's, you know, it's not big or clever, and I don't need to be doing it. Uh, not many other people have from blood quite the way I do. I've I've kind of become a bit of a F this and F that and Fing this. See, I'm not sure. I think you'll find they do. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to try not to do it. Right. Um, and I'm also doing dry January, which, Bloody to be honest, hell. is already wearing a bit thin um, on day two. <laughs> well, morning two. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got through day two yet. No. So I'm doing, I've done dry January the 1st. Uh, I've done Can I Remember December. Uh, and and so I'm just hoping to get through. I've just been, it's not that I'm worried about my alcohol intake. Um, am I? No, I possibly, I'm not worried about it. I just think it's, I'm probably hammering my liver a bit. And it needs a poor thing needs a, the poor little floppy pink thing needs a break, and so does my liver. <laughs> Innuendo staying then. <laughs> Innuendo's nailed on. Right, still, excellent. <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> Just without the effing innuendo. Right. So, so the odd word that begins with F and a word that begins with G, then I guess. Well, what's G? Gin? Oh, gin. Yeah, that's gone. That's gone. Right. That's gone for the month. Um, See, I've always thought dry February was a much better idea. Oh, don't mess with me, sister, when I was just getting it going. Well, not only for a couple of reasons, really. One is that it gives you January to get your head round it. Because I always think after... after the, I mean, look, you need a bit of a hair of the dog on, on Jan the 1st if you've had a good New Year's Eve. Right. Just to settle the system down. Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't have a good New Year's Eve because we, we were going to have some people round and then one by one they dropped out and decided they'd rather be anywhere else. Mm. I was um, going to say, is that illness or social standing? I think it was... I think it was social fatigue a little bit oh. and and also a desire to hunker down with family instead of go out. Um on the part of the people that didn't come. Apart from Nick and James, our, uh, our best chums from across the road, and they um, they double booked because they're, they're, to say they are social butterflies is a bit like calling Anton Dubeck slightly camp. Um, it, they, they're, 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 they're all over the place daily. <laughs> and over Christmas, they were going to two parties a day. Um, it's good work. It's solid, that. <laughs> Two dinner parties a day. Hmm. So they would, like, do a dinner party from, like, six and then leave mid-evening to to do a dinner party that they'd forgotten they'd agreed to go to. So uh, they were having to have two dinners. That must have been a strain. Um, but, yeah, Nick and James were going to come here for, you, you know, drinks around 10 and stay for the bells and all of that. But then they realised they'd double-booked. And we had been with them all day the day before. Right. At the Abbott experience, which may be another tale to tell. Well, I was going to ask you about that as well. But um, we'll come back to that. Let, let's finish with your, you know. So 
on account of that and them being double booked and having been with us all the day before, we said, look, don't stress about that. Just go and do your thing, you know, and we'll have a quiet one. So we had a quiet one and it was, um, I'd like to say it was lovely, but it wasn't really. It was a bit bit quiet. (laughs) You looked around and saw the people you had to be with rather than... Well, I watched Jules Holland. And, oh, you see, uh, I've gone off Jules at New Year. Well, we watched him because it, because it was either him or Rick Astley. And uh, I watched a bit of Rick Astley. And then uh, that strange bloke came on. Uh, Rylan came mm. on to sing a song mm. with him, at which point it had to be turned over. You know, we, I would have looked at anything rather Other than, than Rylan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say in Ryland's defence, um, I thought he would be a really shit singer, and he wasn't. He was, he was just, you know, he was all right. Um, so for some, maybe he's done a bit of singing in his in his murky past at the uh, Nellie Stagel's School of, of Children's Theatre or wherever he sprung from. Um, so maybe he's had quite a bit of. Or maybe he was in a band. I don't know a damn thing about Ryland except that he's, he's he's quite something on the eye, isn't he? He's got a face that unnerves you a little. <laughs> he looks like his own photo fit, doesn't he? Yeah, I think he's been... He's, he's sort of... What? He's nurtured his image um, several leagues beyond... Claudia Winkleman, who's nurtured hers. Mm. But at some point she thought that's enough. And he thought, oh, that's just coming together nicely at that point and carried on. And so now he's just, I mean, you know, Barbie and Ken. He's like a black, you know, the the black-haired version of Barbie and Ken, really, isn't he? He's like a a Ken doll. Um, You know, and that's all right. He's just doing his thing, and uh, and that's fine. But uh, there are other people I'd rather watch on TV. Not not you know, and that's just my t- that's just me. So Ryland was the turn off, not Rick. Then no, I thought Rick was quite good natured. You know, he was a little bit cheesy, but then what are you going to expect? Um, he's not he's not a full on rocker, is he? Really? Uh, so. By, oh, what can I say? I think, you know, I think he's all right. I met him years ago at a, at a party and um, I was around at Gary Stevenson's and Gary Stevenson had, had made a couple of albums with him. And uh, he was round. I think I've told you this story. Yes, and he at was one, pissed, at one wasn't point, he? yeah, he was really hammered and he got up and, and sang Never Gonna Give You Up without singing one word of it. It was just a backing track and him ranting over the top, which was quite amusing. Um, but the rest of the time, he sort of sat, he sort of sat around in a pair of what looked like blue goggles. Um, and didn't really talk to anyone and was a bit strange and twitchy. So, <laughs> I remember thinking, he's a bit odd, isn't he? Old Astley over there. Um, 
and he had a Scandinavian wife. I think he, I think he still does. I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't been keeping tabs on him in Hello Magazine or anything, so uh, I don't know if he's still got a Scandinavian wife. But uh, she was very pleasant, and you know, and relatively normal. But but relative to Rick and his blue goggles, just about anything would have been. Um, and. And now he's kind of burst back onto the scene, sort of, by all intents and purposes, like a really nice regular geezer. So maybe he's had a good look at himself and thought, the goggles are going to have to go and I'm going to have to start speaking to people. (laughs) Maybe that was his New Year's resolution a couple of years back. He's positioned himself as national treasure. Yeah. He he has, really. Mm. And done extremely well. When you think of his profile... Um, for really only having had one big hit a long time ago. Um, fair play to him. Mm-hmm. He's done better than we have. Been better than Marillion, who had one big hit a long time ago. And, you know, we, we, we're just a kind of um, niche cult rock band now, aren't we? Whereas he's like, hello, Glastonbury. So he's done extremely well with that one hit and the blue goggles. Yeah, because I mean, you've been working really hard, you know, to try and have another big hit, and he and I don't know what he's done in the interim. No, I think he has. He's made albums because he made that one with Gary, but I think they've just bombed. Right. So I'm gonna have a quick look now. Now we're on the subject of Rick. I'm quite intrigued as to what he's been doing all these years. Because I have to God. say, I wasn't really a Rick Astley fan back in the day. He's um, a good singer. He's got a great vocal mm. tone. He's got a great vocal tone. Uh, I, I, I do rather quite like him now. Yeah, well, I wish him well. I wish everybody well. I, I, I wish Ryland well, and I don't, I don't be really sitting here slagging Ryland off. I'm just saying that when he came on, I wanted to switch over because maybe some part of me was indignant. I don't know. See, he's playing a load of arenas in February. Yeah, bless him. <coughs> you know, so something's something's going right. Yeah. Everything, I'd say. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well done, well done, that man. I mean, well who... done, well done, that man. Let's let's who... let's give it up. Did he play the drums? Because he, he likes to sit behind a drum kit, doesn't he? Every once in a while. Yeah, that was a shocker, wasn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Seeing him playing drums with was it with the Blossoms? He came on stage with the Glastonbury. He didn't he... just do his own set. He then came on with them with, and... with other people. I think it was the Blossoms. Didn't they play? Did they play a Smith's tune or was, was that a Smith's tune? That's right. I can't remember. I think they covered a load of mm. Smith's tunes and, and he played on one of them. So, yeah, I think he was trying to let the, the great unwashed British public, and I include myself in that, uh, know that there were more strings to his bow than Stock Aitken and Waterman. But having said that, where would he be without them? Mm. You know, they were, they made him, didn't they? Mm. They're the dominant strings on his particular bow, aren't they? That's the one that fires the big arrow. <laughs> oh, I'm pleased to see that you didn't get rid of innuendo as part of your New Year's resolutions. <laughs> doi, oi, oi. <laughs> I bet you can make a sound effect for that. <laughs> doi, oi, oi. Whoosh. You need the whoosh before it. <laughs> and the pa 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 Whoosh. Doi. <laughs> Shall we start? Shall we do an introduction and everything? <laughs> Oh, I nearly swore then. Um, 
I was right on the edge. See, I can. I'll have a drink because I've <laughs> yeah, not done anything silly. <laughs> Maybe I should just go and insert swear word here. <laughs> I'm a, I'm about to sound off. On my behalf. And I'll just go in hell. <laughs> uh, everybody's hearing it. That's the problem. Whether you say it or not, they're hearing it anyway. Yeah, they know I'm thinking it. That's they know the exactly what you're thinking. You've got to stop <laughs> thinking it. That's the challenge. <laughs> That's, now that. Might take till next New Year. <laughs> Go on then, let's start. One nine one, isn't it? Yes. Right. I'd like to dedicate one nine one. Oh, is it one nine one? Yeah. Oh my filing system is really screwed. <laughs> it's really screwed. <laughs> I've just called it one ninety. But never mind. Um Yes, I'll dedicate this episode of T C D sorry Lucy to Rylan for, for being so horrid. Okay. Okay. And at the same time, I'm going to dedicate it to Rick for, for okay. just doing what you're doing beautifully. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Right. Hello and welcome to Chapter 191 of the Corona Diaries. And prog, really. <laughs> prog, really? Well, I feel the need to say I'm prog, really, you know, when, when we dedicate the episode to Ryland and Rick Astley. <laughs> All right, all you proggers, we're down there with you. We're right. We're right with you, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, that is a fair point, actually. <laughs> Never going to give you up in nine eight after nine. <laughs> One two three four five six seven eight nine. <laughs> Why don't you take that to the boys as a potential B side? <laughs> take that to the boys. Prog never going to give you up. Yes. Well, we might as if if, if yeah. Was that a gravy train I heard going by? <laughs> oh, before we before we crack on, we won't. Let's face it. <laughs> what would a gravy train sound like? It would sort of go. Would there be sort of a bit of gloopy slurping in amongst it? Wouldn't there? As it well, went by. Surely it would just go. Ah, wouldn't it? <laughs> ah, bisto. Woo woo. I can't believe you've asked me what a gravy train sounds like. <laughs> oh, dear. That's oh, the dear. question that Spike Milligan never asked the BBC sound effects department. That He probably, that's the one he missed. That's the one he missed. That's the one he missed. So come on then, because you, you hinted at it earlier on. Uh, we've done your New Year's resolutions. We've talked, about, we've talked a little bit about Rick Astley. Tell me about ABBA, because you went to see Voyage, didn't you? Vo- Voyage. Voyage. <laughs> um, we did, we did. I, I, I bought that Lynetta as an additional present um, for uh, Christmas because we have two Christmases. Being, uh, being pan, being a pan UK Scandi couple, uh, we have to have two Christmases, which uh, which means we have to have two presents. So um, her. Uh, her extra present was going to see ABBA at the ABBA thing, the Voyage thing in East London, in Pudding Mill Lane, actually. Pudding um, Mill Lane? Hmm. It's quite a sort of evocative sort of name for a place, isn't it? Um, and um, I thought that left me with it. I, knew, I know she's mad for ABBA, right? She's absolutely mad for ABBA and, you know, turns into a different human organism at the merest sniff of Dancing Queen. It takes over her 
And she, you know, she's lost. She's lost in ABBA magic from that mm. moment. From she's the lost in music. You know, the little before it goes. By halfway through the. She's there. She's up with her arms in the air. One of the greatest uh, piano little diddlers in history, do we think? It might be. I don't know. I can't, can't remember if anyone else did it first. I mean, me, I was all about. Jerry Lee Lewis having one foot foot up the top end. Mm. Um, that was my idea of what Does that explain why your do. piano's getting lower? Because it's harder for you to lift your foot that high. <laughs> I think that is part of the problem. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see you do that in natural show. <laughs> well, there was the time in New York when I'd had the steroids. But um, let's not go back there. No. Um I mean, not to New York. I'm up. I'm up for going back to New York. Um, but um, where was I? So yes. So so it takes over her, um, and she's mad forever. And I suppose being a girl of a certain age from a certain time in a certain part of the world, it's to be expected. Um, and uh, so I thought I was quite surprised she had, she hadn't lent on me to to go earlier I think she dropped a couple of subtle hints but nothing more and um, so I got to and I thought oh this could be problematic this because we're going to get there the music's going to start playing she's going to be up bumping and grinding and I'm going to be sat in the sat firmly in my seat being a grumpy old bastard and it's going to emphasise what a grumpy bastard I am and obviously bastards got through the that's got through the new year re- resolution gate obviously oh, it must have done yeah yeah it must have that... done. okay <laughs> we're finding out as we go aren't we that's fine <laughs> and and so the, this is fraught with man traps this business so with any man traps and and so I uh, I texted James across the road because Nick and James are a gay couple and I thought, now, if I could persuade them to come with us, I'm sorted because they'll be radiating the, the good gay vibes to the sound of ABBA. Lynette will be having a lovely time and won't notice that I'm sitting there next to a grumpy trying to work out how it's done. Was that your plan? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm loving that. I suggested to James that he he, he bought he bought Nick the ABBA experience for Christmas. James did a backflip and said, "That's genius. It's exactly what he'll want." I did a backflip of relief and ordered four tickets, and and so we all went together and we had a thoroughly good day. We had a, we had a really nice time. We went for dinner afterwards because we we're middle aged and decadent um as well so we went we we uh, we had we went to the three o'clock performance the, of, of the of the abo experience of because you like a matinee now thing because you like a matinee now, yes. you got on the couch gives me gives me time to empty me in continence trousers before <laughs> dinner um and uh we went and it was really it was really good but it stressed me out because I can't work out how they do it. I mean, if anybody's not been or if anybody's been and has the remotest idea how that's been done. 
I mean, I, I know quite a few, you know, rock and roll professionals, sound and lights, and they all say, I don't know. So it really is cutting-edge technology on the line between cutting-edge technology, prototype shit, and pure magic. Um, and at the end of it all, I thought I'd had a bizarre dream um, because the only thing I could compare it to was, was a magician sitting down at your table, extending his hand in front of your face and pulling rabbits out of the palm of his mm. hand you know, you know, you know it's impossible, but it's you just can't happened. begin to know how he's doing it. And you're looking at it, and you're going, "I actually don't believe I'm watching this." It's phenomenal, and it messes with your head because at one point, Frida, who wasn't Frida, who was you know this avatar of herself, was sing was singing a song. Under a sp under one single spotlight shining on her from above, and it was shining on her. She was a solid object, and you could see it, see it, you know. And it didn't look clever; it looked totally real. Hmm. And I was thinking, well, you can't shine a light on something that isn't there, you know, on a on a hologram. What the? F hmm. I nearly, I nearly, you nearly, you nearly went there, didn't you? Yeah, you you'll have to say "ook," um, <laughs> but yeah, it was amazing, and it's uh, it's a really good show, and I recommend it to everybody that can afford the extortionate hundred and eighty quid entrance fee because it's mm. expensive to get in. Um, it must have cost a zillion quid to set up. I think they built the building especially. Wow. So there are things, you know, that required the building of a building to make it work, whether that's to make the, the holograms work or just the, you know, to, to, to make the experience the way Benny and Bjorn were envisioning it. I don't know. But, it's quite something. So there's three there's three tiers on the th on the stage, and the bottom tier has a has a, a far sort of far to stage right has a real band, quite a big one, you know, bass, drums, guitar, keyboards, maybe two guitars actually, three uh, old percussionist, and three girl singers, um, and then. They're all sort of. I couldn't quite work out from the sound how much of the band I was hearing and how much was tracks. It was really hard to. Yeah. That would be my only criticism of it was that the the sound was kind of odd. It was clean and clear, and you could hear everything that was going on. But there was an oddness about it that just didn't. The sound didn't sound quite. The singers didn't sound quite real. You know, the ABBA singers. Mm. And I don't know why that would be, because they must have just lifted all the vocals straight off the masters, of the records, because they sounded like the master record performances, but they didn't sound sort of first generation. So whether they were heavily processed at the time they made the records and bounced together and they just couldn't make them sound 
rail rail. Yeah, that's possible. Because they'd been zinged and screwed. Or even if they put through a have messed with them slightly because they weren't necessarily consistently in time because I guess everything's got to be on clicks if you if you doing that show. Time's yeah. got to be paramount, hasn't it? It's got to be on clicks, yeah. So whether whether the original whether when you lifted them they needed some shuffling a bit and that affected the overall sound but even that doesn't tend to nowadays when well, you the, when you mess about with that kind of stuff now it doesn't tend to affect the the pitch or anything just didn't sound real real until i mean they did, i mean i don't want to throw a lot of spoilers in for people who haven't seen it but um at one point they did does your mother know that you're out you know which is the one that i get them mixed up bjorn sang that didn't he the girls didn't sing it and so he sings a bit of verse one, and then they kind of put a key change in it, kick it up, and the and the three girls, the three real girl singers down mm. the front, got a kind of moment to shine and stomped around the stage, and they sang it, and they sang it really well, and and they sounded really real because mm. they were, you know. Um, so. That was kind of interesting as well, and quite. A, they did a few cool things, you know. It's not a spoiler, I don't think, to say that at the very, very end, the four of them come out the age that they are now. You know, the four the four members of ABBA walk out and wave and take a bow, and they are four, you know, seventy year old people. But they're they're not real either. But they look totally real. Um, and they walk out and take a bow. And that that's an illusion as well. But they look even realer than the young ones. But then I suppose I've been thinking about this. I've not thought about much else, to be honest, because it messed with my head so badly. Um, but they'd have so many more data points to generate... Um, whatever this these things are, you know, the hologram or an avatar or whatever you want to call it. Um from from the real thing you've got you've got everything, haven't you? Yeah. To run with. Whereas the young ones you you know, you've got all the you've got all the moving impact because they 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 did that thing where they stuck all those dots on their bodies and and scanned their movements and when they were making these things. Um, when they were well, did they weren't made? They were just they, they're all, it's all just a computer program by by all accounts. But um, of course, the, that would have been, you know, the young faces and all that had been manufactured from mm. photographs, I guess, and f- maybe from from old video and whatnot. Um, whereas the the way they are today. You've got an unlimited amount of data points because that's them to scan, you know. So maybe that's why the old the old ABBA looked even more accurate and real than the than the the, the young ABBA. It must yeah, mess with your head, you know. I mean, imagine if you could do that for yourself and stand there and look at yourself. Forty, fifty years younger. How must that feel? It must be really spooky. Well, I I watched 
I watched the new Indiana Jones movie over Christmas when it hit Disney. And I'd seen it at the cinema anyway. I'm a big fan of Indiana Jones. But I wonder what Harrison Ford must feel like looking at that de-aged sequence at the beginning. Because it's not one of those fleeting ones. That's like 15 minutes of the movie is him de-aged. Now, my understanding of how they use that technology is the, the, the actor plays the part now and then they de-age mm. the face. Yeah. But how he must feel looking at that now... Because, do you know what? I mean, the first time I saw it, I thought, meh, it's kind of okay, but, I mean, going back, you know, 10 years or so, it's all right, but it's a bit, it looks a bit weird. It looks a bit like Rylan, if you know what I mean. Right. Not quite, yeah, not quite right. Yeah. Um, but the, it's astonishing in that film. It's so close. Right. And, and you know, it, again, what was Harrison feel like looking back at that? Because he even acted those scenes out. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Live forever, man. Um, would 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 we do it if we had the option? Because we're, I don't know. You wonder if in the next fifty years they're going to discover how to make that possible. Mm. You know, they're they're doing all these experiments on 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 what aging actually is and and what happens at a cellular level to to make you age, aren't they? Mm. And why dogs age at a different rate to humans, or why different species age at different rates? Um, and you know, you you plug a few supercomputers into that shit, and eventually they're going to go, ah, this is what does it, and this is what stops it. You know, this is what you can do to stop it, and then you have all of these people in California because it'll undoubtedly start there, or China, or Japan, or somewhere. Uh, going, yeah, where do I sign? Oh, I've got $10 million. Yeah, I'll, I'll have it. And and they might never get old. Imagine if Elon Musk lived forever. What a what a blessing to the planet that would be. On a positive question. note, he'd move to Mars, so we'd be all right. Here's, here's a semi-serious question then. After mm. having seen the ABBA experience, Mm-hmm. How does that then affect the thinking of a band like Marillion? It just makes me makes it just increases that regret at not having unlimited funds. Uh, that that you know is already a kind of background regret anyway. Because mm-hmm. you know whenever we go out on tour, we always want to do things that we can't afford to do. Um. I think charging 180 quid a ticket would be a step in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> that would make a few things possible that previously weren't. That'll sort the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> a smaller, more select audience. <laughs> but seriously, I, I mean, I want... I, I do wonder if we charge enough for our concert tickets because people are paying 18 quid to see movies these days, yeah. let alone, you know, yeah. People would pay beings. more to see a hologram of you. <laughs> I know I would. <laughs> um, here's another question. What are we going to do now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't know either. I don't know, everybody wants us to keep going, but nobody's... Well, I suppose a few people have suggested how, haven't they? They've yeah. just gone, well, 
keep talking bollocks. And, uh, I mean, they're probably vaguely hopeful that one day we'll talk about the Friends from the Orchestra album. Oh, well, um, we, get, we are getting to that. I just, do you know what? I, when I you, you, when you can expect that around... o'clock, I was like, oh... <laughs> You expect that around mid-May, I think. Yeah. No, I think we'll definitely try and start that. And I know I've said this before, but we'll definitely try and start that next week. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, mainly because, as well, I'm I'm coming down to Racket um, for another reason oh, you are? As, yeah. that I can't disclose. Um, yes. But it might mean I can talk to Mike as well next week. Oh, that would I'm sure that would be incredibly helpful because hmm. he will actually remember making he will know it something about and it. the the process. And he won't just be going, do you know, I have no idea. Now, whether All it's going to be a hologram through. of Mike or Mike himself, I'm, not, I'm still not quite sure. Well, that is a good question because uh, he lost his father just before Christmas. His far, he, he lost his father quite suddenly. And I think he's got quite a lot to sort out. So whether he appears on time on the... I think he was going to come down on the 7th or 8th of Jan. Mm. Um whether he shows up or not is in the lap of the gods. I mean, we've all said to him, look, take as long as you like and give us a sh-. You can imagine how keen the rest of the band were to get started back in the studio and what a wrench that was to tell Mike to take as long as he likes. But um, we have said take as long as you like and we'll, we'll just get on to it whenever you're ready. You know, this poor sod. So... I mean, I don't think he was super close to his dad. But having said that, sometimes you can grieve a lot harder for unresolved stuff than than you can for you know someone you were super close to, you know, and didn't have any kind of fake things left that you felt had been left unsaid. Um. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how he's coping because I've. I haven't really spoken to him. I've swapped a few messages with him. And he's not the kind of guy that really... He's not a big opener-upper, no. Mike, at all. He's um, He likes to keep himself to himself to some degree. Um, I can't imagine how that is. I'm, I'm at the other end of the spectrum, aren't I? I mean, well, 191 episodes in, yeah, just a little. <laughs> On the keeping myself to myself front, yeah. <laughs> well, what what we should agree is that whatever happens, when we get round to Friends from the Orchestra, we will definitely include Mike in that conversation in some way, shape or form, either oh, on mic or off mic. Ooh, on mic or off oh, mic. Mike on mic. I've just had a, hang on, I've just had a malfunction. You have, haven't you? I have made me pop shields. Oh, there we are. <laughs> uh, it's like I know what I'm doing sometimes. Um, yeah, we should we should include him in the in the pod if we can. If we if he'll if he's up for joining us, he's joined us before, hasn't he? He has joined us before and proved to be absolute top value. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but whatever happens, we will discuss friends with Mike. Even if he doesn't get on, just we to abs- get his take, because I think it would be helpful for the conversation. We absolutely should, because um, I, I I also think that he's probably got a few things he'd like to get off his chest about that record as well. Um, that's just a, a suspicion, 
because I know that he didn't enjoy the process. He found it really um, stressful. Mm. I think he felt a little bit lent on by us and by by circumstance and the schedule and um, so the whole the whole process for him was fraught with 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 stress. Um, and he probably, if if I was him, I'd probably want to want to get that out in the open and explain it. But it may be with the passing of time, he's had a complete rethink about about that, you know, about what it represents to him. So be, it'd be interesting listening, I would have thought. Or maybe it's just sat there like a festering sore and we just... That's also interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah, it puss all over the place. <laughs> There's a title. We've had a few today, to be fair. <laughs> Are you gonna Are you gonna read something this week then, or not? What do you What do you think? Well, I probably should. Um, I mean, one suggestion that came through from the Purples was was for people to to send messages about their own journey into our music, and 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 I could perhaps read that out. Mm. Um, and maybe two or three people have. I could go looking for that if if they have, or we could put out a an appeal for everyone to do it and we'll read out the well, I don't know the most uh, the ones that strike us for whatever mm. reason most whether that's because they're funny or because or they're, they're heavy duty or whatever um, Doesn't it doesn't have to be heavy duty folks it can just be daft you know or it can be it can be bizarre you know I I heard you were music in a health food shop and never looked back. It could be something like that. <laughs> That's a lovely idea. Well, let's <laughs> let's make that request then. So how about saying, look, if you can capture your thoughts in what? About a, about a page, really, isn't it? Page, page and a half? Yeah, not too long. Otherwise, it'll take me 20 minutes to read it out. Hmm. Um, but, but yeah, in, 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 in what would take four or five minutes to read... And yeah, let, let us let us know how you got into the music, where you were, whether it took a long time or whether it was instant, you know, and what's happened to you since as a consequence of of your of your journey in in into Marillo world. <laughs> Sounds like a theme park. <laughs> I know. Don't worry, it's at the advanced planning stage, aren't they? Right, right. The theme okay. park. Well, in, in which case, leave that hanging there then. And I think what we should do, because I think we've done really well for the 2nd of January, actually. We've done, we've, we've, we've chatted for, what, 45 minutes, nearly 50 minutes. I reckon we should, we should stop there, because I think we've come to a natural kind of point, unless you've got anything you need to okay. add. Well, I might, I might have a, a little dig around and find find a bit of unpublished diary I, I, I've written a few things down since that period all came to an end I haven't diligently kept it the way I used to which arguably wasn't that diligent in the first place but even less so um, but I'm sure I've got stuff in the um, in the bottom drawer of the laptop 
that's a good opportunity for a sound effect of a draw opening and shutting, isn't it? We'll edit You're that You're getting in. very, very, very hooked <laughs> on your sound effects, aren't you? Excuse me while I open the bottom drawer of this laptop. <laughs> I wanted to think of you having one of those doors by you on your desk. You know, like the BBC would do for plays, where they had the, like they've got a little cat tray that you do for the feet, and then a door that you go like that and shut. I want right. to have one of them. A couple of coconuts for yes. horses. Yeah. A horse approached. <laughs> I haven't got anything here really that would would do it. A drummer arrived. It's all I've I got. Need, I need to keep dropping lines in, don't I? What was that? Was that thunder? <laughs> A drawer opened. The door creaked in the background. <laughs> I can't reach the door without getting up. <laughs> Maybe that's where we should be. We should be in Radio 4 Plays. We should be doing a play for the day. You know, the, the 2 o'clock play, the 2.15 play. Should yeah. be us. Not Harold Pinter, though. No, ham that, radio kind of vibe, I'm thinking. Yeah, it'd, it'd have to be something infinitely goofier. Yeah. Than... With, a, with a, a Hammer House of Horror kind of vibe to it. Oh, socket. Mm. Well, look, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up there. We'll, we'll call it a day for 191, but you may hear a reading after we finish, and you may not. And none of okay. us, neither of us know. Nobody knows whether that will happen. Let me have another look in this laptop drawer. Oh, Paris. Sunday, 10th of December, 2017. Paris. Club La Maroquinerie. Up at 10 for breakfast. Found a table and ordered coffee from the unhelpful Parisian waiter. Paris may have become friendlier in the last few years, but this guy was something of an exception. He bought me orange juice, coffee, and after I asked twice, milk for the coffee. A basket then appeared containing croissants and a baguette, along with some preserves in jars. All very nice. Phil joined me and pointed out that there should be a breakfast menu. Don't think the staff had realised I was a guest of the hotel, as it's a cafe and people tend to walk in off the street here. Phil ordered cappuccino and asked for a baguette. Sorry, no more baguettes, said the waiter. We looked across the room to see that there were more baguettes in a box. What about those? said Phil. It turned into a bit of a charade with the waiters refusing Phil any bread and Phil ending up going across the street to buy a baguette. When he returned holding the bread triumphantly aloft, the waiter brought a basket with bread in it. Then, out of the two boiled eggs we had ordered, only one arrived for me. It was beginning to look personal. Phil loved to wind up, but I could see him beginning to get angry. Managed to get him an egg and returned upstairs to my room and frantic rehearsing before any chairs went through any windows. Called Stephanie to ask her if she might call the hotel and complain. There was little point in complaining myself as no one here seems to have much English and they probably wouldn't understand. She said she'd have a word. 
Up in my room, I'd borrowed a piano from the lovely Fabienne Maho, complete with fairy lights. Following a bizarre turn of events and coincidences, legendary music producer Trevor Horn is to join me on stage tonight to play a bit of bass. We're going to perform his mega hit, Video Killed the Radio Star, together. I'm having trouble believing it, but I'm erring on the side of having faith and have spent yesterday programming a backing track for it and trying desperately to learn Jeff Downs' piano part. I'll be seeing him on the forthcoming Yes Cruise at the end of January. Perhaps he'll show me what I should have done. I just don't seem to be able to get the parts into my muscle memory. I know them, but my hands won't go there. If Trevor shows up, I really want to get it right for him. Had a text from Lynetta at home in England. She attached pictures and video of three inches of snow on the village green. Vibes will be excited. Trust me to miss it. Spent the rest of the morning rehearsing and programming. Received a text alert of travel disruption out of Heathrow owing to bad weather. So dropped Trevor an email to see if Janet and him were still planning to arrive. Received a reply saying, We're on our way. Shit. I'd better get this song nailed. Phil called to say he'd found a shop round the corner that I really needed to see. It's a man with a workshop building miniature automatons and musical boxes. You have to come and have a look. So we walked round the corner and went in. A smiling man in an apron greeted us at the door. I bought a musical box, which plays La Vie en Rose, to give to Elle for Christmas. He showed us a box he had made, which took him one year. It was a golden box from which sprang a little singing bird, which sung and spun around. The bird was about one inch long and feathered. As it sang, its beak opened and closed, and it really was singing. He said the bird alone contained 35 moving parts. He then showed us the contents of the box, which was full of springs and cogs, like a fine watch. It also contained miniature bellows, to create the airflow for the bird to sing. He had supplied one, just like this, to film director Martin Scorsese. I didn't ask how much it cost, but if I was paying for his time, I guess it would have ran to five figures. I decided I would like him to put the musical box in a different outer case which he said he could if we come back in 15 minutes. So we went over the road to a cafe, which turned out to be Cuban, complete with two really great Cuban singing guitar players. We drank cappuccinos whilst the guys played and sang. Despite my nervousness for the forthcoming gig, it was great to be among the Latin vibrations. We were having an interesting day on so many fronts. At around 3pm, I received a mail from Janet saying they were in room 301 down the corridor from me, so I popped down to say hello. Janet seems quiet, but Trevor seems relaxed and chipper. We were all driven to the gig around 4pm. It's a rock and roll club, a little reminiscent of the cavern in Liverpool. I sound checked first, and Phil and I checked and tweaked the levels of the newly programmed Video Killed the Radio Star before his lordship got up and sound-checked. We ran the song a couple of times and I began to believe that not only would it all happen, but I might get through it without looking like a twat. 
Trevor seemed happy. We also checked really like and cage. Cage was bamboozling him somewhat with all the extra little bars of five and six, which, much to his embarrassment, he didn't seem to have clocked whilst listening to the original, so we decided we'd just play the two songs. This had always been the plan anyway. We returned to the hotel and Trevor brought his bass so he could check out my songs again in the hotel room. Well, he obviously wants to nail my stuff as much as I want to nail his. Cool. By lucky coincidence, my sisters Sue and Jill decided to come to Paris for this show. They had arrived in the hotel while I was sound checking. Went down to their room on the second floor. They knew nothing about Trevor coming to the show, so were suitably excited and thrilled. Sue googled him for information of his considerable output of genius and discovered that his house and studio in Los Angeles burned down four days ago. He hadn't even mentioned it. All the more mind-blowing then that this guy came to Paris to play with me in a little club. Sue told me they'd been accosted in the airport station by a man who had told them they had the wrong train tickets, then said, follow me, I will sort this out for you, before marching off at a pace while they ran along after him. After pacing around the station, he found a ticket machine and bought two tickets on his own credit card. What a kind man, thought Jill. Needless to say, he then asked the girls for 60 euros for the tickets, which it turned out they didn't need. Moral of this story, never accept help from strangers in railway stations. They're usually nutters. Returned to the gig with Fabian and my sisters to see people queuing round the block in the rain to get into my gig. My stress levels, which had briefly fallen out of the red maximum, returned there. Turns out the queue was for another club, into which my sisters promptly entered for a minute before returning giggling back down the street. Stephanie Ringway met us at the door and walked us into the dressing room, whereupon Trevor and Janet reappeared, and I introduced my sisters. I advised Trevor and Janet to go and have dinner somewhere, as I wouldn't need him until the encores. So off they went, while I walked on stage to a rapturous welcome from a packed crowd. Capacity is 500, and Stephanie tells me there were 450 tickets sold and 30 guests, so it was about as full as it could be, without being unpleasant. I thought I sang and played well during the first 45-minute set, which flew by like it was 10 minutes. When I came off stage for the interval, Trevor and Janet were back already. During set two, my mind kept wandering in no little consequence of the fact that Trevor would be listening, and I kept falling out of the zone and making stupid mistakes with the piano. Still, it was all taken in good humour by the incredibly affectionate Paris crowd. At around 10.15, I decided I'd done enough, so walked off stage to get ready for the encore and Trevor's appearance. He seemed relaxed and smiling, and told me he really liked my voice. It reminds me of several singers at once. You have natural soul in your voice. It's like Harry Nielsen, but also Greg Lake and John Wetton. Well, that'll do. It's not every day that someone who's basically met or worked with everyone at the top of the tree in modern music. Yes, Seal, Grace Jones, Tina Turner, Rod Stewart, Cher, Frankie Goes to Hollywood and God knows who else, tells you they really like your voice. 
We went on stage and I said something I never thought I would ever say in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Trevor Horn. A roar went up from the crowd as he sat down and plugged in his bass. We played really like together and it was obvious he'd been practising back at the hotel, having notably improved his parts since soundcheck. We improvised a little too, and he stayed with me. Then I announced, This is Video Killed the Radio Star, and I put my head down, determined to get it right. I'd been working on copying the drum track and musical colours since I was in Spain. Obviously it wasn't perfect, and with a few more days and some input from Trevor, I could have perfected the feel. But on the night it did the job, and I got most of the piano part right, while singing BV to Trevor's lead. The crowd sang along with it, oh, 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 and the choruses. I had some distortion develop on my vocal in my own ears, which was a bit distracting, but I tried to rise above it, hoping it wasn't happening out front. I later found out it wasn't. Trevor sang well for someone who perhaps isn't as used to the live arena as me, and the whole song to me felt like a celebration, a vindication, and a reward for everything I've done. I've been in a state of grace ever since, and as I write this in a hotel somewhere in Germany, I still am. After the show, the audience wouldn't quit screaming, so I went back out and played two or three songs. Life on Mars was probably ill-advised under the circs, as I'd had a few sodas by now and not really rehearsed it for a while, but I stumbled through it anyway. After that, we all remained in the scruffy dressing room for a while. Trevor chatted affably with my sisters, and then Paul and Donna appeared from Dublin too. I drank gin and tonic and said thanks and sympathised about Trevor's home studio in California, which had just burned down. I lost a few cars, and all the guitars I used to play when I was in Yes, he said, philosophically. Janet was looking tired, so Stephanie arranged a cab for them to return to the hotel. They had an early departure in the morning, reinforcing the fact that they really had come to Paris for my gig, having had no time to do anything else. Before they left, Trevor leant forward and said, I enjoyed your version of Life on Mars. I'm thinking of recording a best of the 80s album with a full orchestra. How would you feel about singing Bowie's Ashes to Ashes? Who knows if it will happen. Whether I will work again with Trevor is in the lap of the gods, but as it stands, I had a night to remember in Paris for which I'll be ever grateful. I've had a terrific year with Marillion, including a five-star review of our album, Triumphant shows at the Royal Albert Hall, complete with string quartet, French horn and flute, and London Palladium. And I've had Trevor Horn play bass on my music in Paris. Holy shit. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. 
This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>